Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. It's uh, it's been a it's been a full morning and it's uh, it's good to kind of get together and, and begin a new series and uh, if if maybe again like this is uh, new for you we try to have a teaching series that helps us to focus on a particular thing and as I've been working on this series on the Bible and I've been thinking about this I, I've thought about all the different questions that people have asked me over the years about the Bible why we read the Bible how we got the Bible can we trust the Bible I mean I, I just think about it. some of you are in this room. Or some of you have kids or a friend or someone you know. And, and oftentimes we have different feelings about the Bible. I, I think the most common feeling people feel is that they know it's important and they know they should read it, but they just never kind of get to it. It's like, yeah, it's special and it's, it's the Word of God, but like how do I kind of make it a priority? And as I was thinking about the series, I also thought in my mind, I had this idea of how many of you know people who love going to garage sales? Any garage, garbage sale people? Anyone? Some of you are right here? Yeah. Some of you are, uh, yeah, you, you know those people. <laughs> I often think of, of uh, this is the time of year where it's like garage sale, like er every weekend somebody's selling something. And a lot of these garage sales are things that you once thought were important but now no longer matter. Right? You see something, you're like, oh, that bike, I remember my kids used to ride, but uh, my kids are grown up, so I don't care anymore. You know, we have all these things in our lives that remind us there was a time when this really mattered, but now it doesn't matter. There was a time when this really was valuable and it, it, it was important to us, but now it doesn't, and so we're willing to kind of sell it off and give it to someone else. And if we're not careful, I think for a lot of people, the Bible starts to fall into, into that kind of category. Like there was a time where I read the Bible and I was committed and I was serious about God, and then, you know what, my life got busy and uh, stuff happened and I had kids and whatever. I don't know, I don't know, it's whatever. Or you know like a pattern I've noticed in my life? that I often get serious at the, about the Bible when a lot of tense things are happening in the world. Like, this is a confession moment for me. One of my first kind of moments where I remember, like, reading the Bible, getting serious, is when I was really, really young, and I heard someone talk about the end of the world. And they were like, you know, you better be ready. And they said all these things, and I thought, I better start reading the Bible. Because I think there's, like, a date in the Bible somewhere, and I could find it. Any of you have that experience? Like, there's a season where, like, I'm going to get married, and I want to have my life committed and learn, and then, like, kind of phase away. And so maybe that's you. Maybe you've noticed that pattern. It's like, the Bible's important, not important. It's important, not important, not important that way. But maybe you're a person that's never really read the Bible at all. Maybe you're not sure if the Bible's even reliable, like... You know, is it, all kinds of religions have spiritual books and they read them. So Christians read the Bible, Muslims read the Quran. I'll mention in a second, they're not the same thing. The Jews have the Torah. You know, it's all a mishmash. And after a while, you start to maybe believe, you know what, oh, it's all the same thing. Just figure it out and find your own way to spirituality. That's very common, by the way. I meet a lot of people that kind of, they start to believe that. 
So a series like this is maybe a way to help you and I just begin to kind of go back to some of the roots. And here's one of my, my hopes that the series helps us with. One is that I hope it gives you new language to talk to people who maybe don't understand the Bible. So that you wouldn't feel defensive or like argue or, you know, you have maybe a son or a daughter, a grandchild, a coworker. They're like, I can't believe like you read, the, like you're a Christian. Like who still believes that? Like this barbarian, the old book. Like, like you would know maybe new ways to say like, wait a second, maybe have you thought about this about the Bible? Like it would help you to have that, that conversation with someone. But also that as we go through this series, here's something I'm praying for every single time I work on a sermon. I'm praying that over the summer, you would read your Bible more. Like, if you want to know what I'm doing when I'm preparing a sermon, I'm praying for you. I'm actually praying, God, in this teaching, would somebody realize they've wasted like an hour scrolling on Instagram? Would they realize they've wasted hours checking Facebook and not once stop to say, I'm going to read just one Bible story today? Like, it's such an easy thing that happens to all of us. So I think as we go through this series, that's a prayer I have for you. And so, like, I want to begin, I hope for some of you, maybe this is something that you're taking seriously, and I want to encourage you, especially for next week, bring, like, something to write on, because some of this will feel like you're learning. Like, think about what a waste of a Sunday morning it would be if you came here and didn't learn anything, right? Like, you don't want to do that. You want to come and feel like you're learning something, and you're thinking, so turn to the person next to you and say, are you ready to learn? And, and if you notice that they're, they're lying to you, say that to them. I'm like, are you lying to me? You're lying to me right now. We're about to talk about the Bible, people. So like, just, we're ready to learn together. So one of the things I want to just begin by just maybe helping you understand this is that the Bible never uses the word the Bible. So right away you always feel like, oh my goodness, if somebody asked me that question, I'd be so confused. Is God even real? Like the Bible is actually... It's not even a good word that I, I often don't like. And so this morning's sermon is I want to kind of help you understand some important things that maybe you've assumed or you used to remember. But the word Bible actually means many books. Okay? So the fact that we have a Bible that feels like one book is already itself a bit of a challenge. The Bible is like a mini library of books. So when somebody reads it, they have to be ready that when they open it, depending on which book they land on, they're almost landing in a different place at Indigo or Chapters. It's like walking into a bookstore and finding yourself in the comic section versus the history section. Like you're entering a space with all of these different parts. And so that's so important to just remember that when you're starting to read the Bible, understand the Bible, you're not just dealing with one book. You're dealing with many books that we are so blessed to have in one, what's called a canon, like in one set like this. For thousands of years, Christians never had something like this. They never had the Bible like in a book like this that we take. And, and the sacrifices and the money and the giving that made it possible for us to just have this, I'll be the first one to admit, we take for granted. We're like, oh, it's great. And not only that, you ready for this? All of you have multiple Bibles right in your pocket on your phone. You can read it in Latin and in Greek and in Hebrew and in Aramaic. Like endless devices. You know what that means? That one day... Jesus is going to ask us about how we were formed by these words, and we will have no excuse. No excuse. Like, it's one thing if you're like, I can't read, I never had a Bible, nobody told me, I couldn't afford a cell phone, like whatever. You could, but now we're like, nothing. The access to have it, and because we have so much access to it, it oftentimes becomes even less important. It's like, it's just there. 
the Bible's just there and we'll just read it. And, you know. So I want to just help us to feel some of that. And, and, and I want to just begin at the beginning. This might help. It helped me, might help you. If you grabbed your Bible and you just opened it right at the beginning of the Bible, some of you might know this and you'll see it in a slide. Some of you maybe are familiar that the first book of the Bible is called the book of Genesis. And Genesis means the beginning. Okay? And Christians are not the only ones that read Genesis. The Jewish people read Genesis as well. And Muslims have a version of the story in the Quran. So there is some of that, right? But if you just go to the first, like, I'll just go to the first kind of beginning of Genesis. This is what you'll see. You'll see it on the screen. It says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And now the earth was formless and empty. And darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then it says, and God said. So if you pick up a Bible and you're just starting to read it, you're introduced to the fact that there's a God who exists before anything else is there. And in comparison to this God, everything is kind of formless and there's water. And this is kind of one of the great stories we have about how things start to get shaped and forms start to come together. And how we learn about, like, how did this all kind of come together? Now, I don't want to get into the debates of that. There's a lot of good debates about, you know, what science says, how Christians wrestle through that, what the Jewish rabbis used to teach, all good stuff. If you're interested in that, sign up for one of our learning series. Because in a learning series, we sometimes dig deeper into some of those ideas, okay? But one of the things I just want to begin with is to help you understand that the Bible introduces us at the beginning to a God who speaks. God did what? Said something. Now, when I was really, really young, I always wondered, like, what language he said it in. Like, all of us know it probably was French, right? Some of you? Yeah, got you? No, whatever, all of you, so mean. Could at least give me that. Like, you wonder, like, God said, why is this so important? Well, the most important thing we need to know is that the Bible comes to us from a God who is a communicating God, who did not have to speak, who did not have to make us ears to hear, but from the beginning... There was a sense that God was one who would communicate and he would use words and his words would be life-giving. And just to show you, you see that section of the Bible says, and God said, just go to the next slide. If you keep reading Genesis, this is all, all the times you'll see it. And God said this, and God said this, and God said this. Like God keeps saying. And after every time God says something, life is, is bubbling up out of his words. New things are emerging. And by the way, one of those things that bubbles up is us. Living creatures who are made in the image of a speaking, communicating God. And that's why it's so important that we understand that to be fully alive, we need to be able to hear God and respond to Him because we're made that way. We have a mouth. We have ears. We're formed as communication beings. Now, if you read any studies about being communicative beings, you know that women sometimes use like double the words than men. And that can either be great, but it's usually like a space for conflict in the marriage. Usually. Not in our church, but in other places. Here, it's amazing. I don't have any of those problems. But there's a sense that we're always wrestling with communication, and when we communicate, we feel like, I'm not understood. Did you understand me? But at its core, there's something so profound about us knowing that there's a God who loves to speak. He loves to kind of talk about who he is and he loves to communicate part of his nature to us and in communicating to us, he's always kind of pointing to us 
the ways He loves us. The way He loves you and the way He loves me. Because think about it. God's going to create and He's going to speak and all the things we see make us feel excited and hopeful. And if you've ever experienced this on vacation or you visit some exotic place or you know, you're like, you go to the mountains, you just feel that even in creation, there's a sense the Bible talks about creation is speaking about how great God is. One verse in the Bible says that creation points to God's glory. Okay, and this is a place where a lot of people get stuck because they often say, well, you know what? I feel God when I'm in creation. Have you ever experienced this? Or you, like maybe this has happened to you. you, you you're somewhere. I still remember the first time I went to the Rocky Mountains and the first time I saw the Rockies, like you almost feel like there is no words to explain like, like, what, what is, like what is, where are we right now? Right? And this is really, really important because it's easy to forget that although creation speaks of God's glory, it's not the same as the Bible speaking and pointing us to God who we find in Jesus. And if we're not careful, we can say, oh, I just like God in creation, but I don't really read the Bible because I'm not into that. No, 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 no. When you read the Bible, you learn to do both in a very beautiful way. You, you learn to celebrate the beauty of creation, the glory of creation, the fact that this living, speaking God infuses creation with life, and also that because we are made in this God's image, we need to hear and read and experience what it means to, to learn about Him in deeper ways. Creation is just not enough. One of the ways that you might want to remember this is that the Bible talks about God as creator, but as we read it, we also need to learn that God is our Savior that he comes to heal and restore and to do something that no one else could do. So the Bible, in a beautiful way, helps us to be both. And I want you to be careful in your own life where maybe you maybe pick one or you're stuck in just one, one of those moments. But then here's another question. If you've never had this question, you should. How do we get from a God talking to God writing? Like, how, any of you ever think about that? A lot of people have this question. Has in like a written form where we read it and we can have it in a book. Now, this happens over many, many different years and different kind of periods. But at pivotal times in the life of the people in the Bible, they realize that they do not want to forget how good God has been. And they also realize that they have a responsibility to pass on God's promises, God's faithfulness to the next generation so that when they die the next generation will know and remember the good things that God has promised, the things He said. And so what we start to see is this pattern of putting to writing, obviously not like this, usually like with a, a chisel and a hammer, like old school style, right? The Flintstone style, okay? Uh, just like there's a sense that there's a written record of the things that God had been saying. And this written record happens in some unique times when the people of God are going through major changes or shifts. The same way you would maybe think about writing something down uh, when you think about getting older and needing to leave a will. Or the way some people start to jot down things when they get married. You know what we actually do? We cheat. We take pictures. Like we're just like, I'm just going to take a picture because I need to remember this, right? But in the ancient world, there was a sense of like, we want to document this. This will be the most reliable way that people remember what God has been doing. So let me just show you a time in the Bible where this happens. Where, where there's an awareness that we need to record this. It's in the book of Joshua. Again, it's in the beginning of the Bible. It says this, Joshua chapter 1, verses 7 and 8 there. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, 
Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. I mean, what a beautiful passage. I mean, I think of times in my life where I've only focused on be strong and courageous, and then I kind of stop. It took me a while to realize that to be strong and courageous is shaped in us by what Joshua says next. God says, hey, 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 you need to remember that you're about to enter a new season. Joshua was a new leader in the Bible, and he was about to enter a new season with the people. And God says to him, Joshua, when you enter this new season, you need to remember one thing, that my blessings will at times cause you to forget what this is all about. That Joshua has to learn that the things that Moses talked about, the things that God has been doing to the people of God in Genesis, the Exodus, Egypt, all of those stories, they needed to go back to those stories and remember that God was faithful and that God loved them. I've never met anyone in my life that doesn't want to be strong, courageous, or successful. Never. Have you? Have you ever met anyone who's like, I hope I'm a failure. I hope everything just falls apart. I hope I leave my kids nothing. Anyone? No one. But I also know that for many of us, the idea of strong and courageous and successful are often defined by our culture, not by the Bible. And the Bible says there's a way of understanding what it means to be strong, what it means to be courageous, and what it means to be successful. And by successful, it doesn't mean just have money, but being obedient in the things of God. And you learn that by having your life shaped by the writings of the Bible. By letting the Bible inform what does strength really mean? What does courage really mean? And you want a secret? That Jesus embodies all of those things. Jesus embodies what it means to be strong, courageous, and obedient in a successful way, for lack of better words, because he did what God had called him to do. And, and another thing that I think is important about this passage, just again, as you think about how you're reading the Bible, when you're entering a season and you're like, God, I want you to shape my life in a new way and I want to understand what the Bible says. Like, Joshua reminds us that the problem of keeping focus on reading the Bible is not just a modern problem. I meet so many people that believe this. Oh, you know what? Today is different than the Bible times. We have internet. We have busy schedules. You know what? Everybody in the Bible has the same amount of time as you and I have. Everybody in the Bible had some of the similar challenges that you and I had. One of the things that Joshua is going to tell the people and that God is telling Joshua in this passage, just remember that there are so many things in your life that will distract you from making it a priority to read and learn and grow in the ways of God. So many. That's not a new problem. So can we stop believing the lie that somehow it's so much harder for us because we're busier? Joshua is already telling the people, God reminded us that as he blesses us, as our lives get busy, as we experience the goodness of God, we will all become distracted with other things. Does that happen to you? Will it happen this summer? Like I know at times when I think about even this season, the summer is a great time to just reflect on what is a priority. I was just talking to one of our leaders earlier about this. That we could be so busy and all the things we're busy with are all good things. They're all great things. They're not even like bad things. But we still have to say of all of these good things, these will be the most important this season. And in those most important ones, are we learning to commit to growing and saying, God, I need your help to have my life formed in the right kinds of things. Okay, so one of the things I want to help you understand is I'm going to give you another simple principle, okay? And you'll see it on the slide, is that the Bible 
is not just to us, but it is for us. This is a, such an important principle when you read the Bible. Because if you continue reading Joshua, and if you continue reading other books in the Bible, you're going to get to so many things in the Bible that you're like, how do I do any of this? Like, do I have to watch the kind of clothes I wear? There's guidelines. They're called ethical principles for the Israel. And so while the Bible is not written exactly to us in our day, it's always written for us. Meaning God is always teaching us to read it to know what he's saying to us for today, for how we're to live our lives. And so let me, again, show you why this is important. Because just in the Hebrew Bible alone, we're dealing with 39 books. You can go to the next slide quickly. You'll just see. Just to give you a snapshot. In the Hebrew Bible alone, we're dealing with a time span that covers thousands of years. We're dealing with two languages, Hebrew and Aramaic, in the original manuscripts, and many styles of writing. Like you walk into the Old Testament and you're like, wow, poetry, history, prayers, songs, all these beautiful things. And so it's kind of going to require a little bit of time to kind of learn this. One of the things I share with people all the time over the years, it's so easy to start to read the Bible and to get overwhelmed. To be like, I don't understand any of this. What does that mean? Why did they do this? Why did this happen? And it's easy to just stop when that happens. So I just want to, again, remind you, the goal is not to try to make God happy by reading the Bible, make sure you don't get punished when you don't read the Bible. That's not the goal. The goal is to say, I just want to hear what God might say to me today in this season. So I'm going to give you a simple thing to do. When you're learning to read the Bible this summer, if you're like, you have no practice, you, you have no app, you're not using it, just pick one book in the Bible. Just pick one. The whole summer, and just read that book many times. I know there's all kinds of stuff out there. Read the Bible in a year, or be better than that. Read the Bible in six months, blah, 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 whatever. Some sales pitchy thing. It's garbage. All that's garbage, okay? Nobody's doing that in the Bible. The people in the Bible don't even have the whole Bible to read in a year. And you can feel overwhelmed. You're like, I met somebody at our church, and they know all the verses in the Bible. That's wonderful. But if that becomes kind of legalism, and like if I don't do that, then I'm not spiritual enough, it's not helpful at all. So it's very simple. This summer, pick one month, just say, I'm going to read one of the Gospels, the Gospel of Luke. Just read the Gospel of Luke over the summer. That's it. And you know when you're done? Guess what? Read it again. And you know what you're done? You know what? Read it again. Once you're done reading it, you're going to start to feel the rhythm of Luke's stories. And you're like, I, read, I know this better. I, I hear something new here. So just maybe that will help. And as you read the Bible, something else starts to happen to you. You realize that the words of the Bible are always pointing to an eternal God. Okay, this is such an important idea. There is no other book in the world that is given to us by us reading it where it reminds us that we don't know anything. Just think about this. All the books that we read, we read books to know more things. So when we read a book, we want to understand something. Pick a topic, any topic, somebody. Learn how to... Huh? Ikea furniture. Dear Lord, Ikea furniture. That's not from the Lord. Okay. I'm sorry if you're watching from Ikea. We love you. No lawsuits. Okay. So, uh, uh, no, you pick any topic you're interested in, right? Like you're interested in plants, you're interested in sports, you're interested in anything. When you read it, the goal is after you read it, you're like, I understand. I'm going to put this book away. Books are meant to help us know things. The Bible is always meant to remind us how little we know. Okay, just remember that. That's why the Bible is a book we always keep reading. It's not a book that you read and once you know, you just put away. But the word book means that in our culture. It means I read a book and after I read the book and I know the book, I'm like, I don't need the book. That's why I don't like the word book for Bible. 
That's why the better word is the scriptures. They're eternal. They ooze out of a living God. And you can keep reading them and keep reading them. And at the end, just when you think you understand, God says, by the way, you don't know me fully. Remember, you're still just a creature. If you land on the book of Isaiah, this is what it says in Isaiah. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. This is Isaiah. It's like, I know you're reading the Bible and I know you're praying, but just so you never forget... You will never fully understand the goodness, the love, the graciousness, the holiness of God. It's never going to be fully understood here. So you have to keep coming to the Bible and learning from the Bible and growing in the way of the Bible. I was thinking about a way to understand this, a way to kind of... The people in the Bible struggled with this. But I thought about the beauty of the Bible being a book that always draws us to see new things. And that can be frustrating. Because all of us want to read a book to just know something and then to be done with it. The Bible's never going to be that kind of book because the Bible is more than a book. It's the eternal living words of a God who's speaking, who spoke, and is still kind of drawing us in to hear not only that he loves us and he created everything, but that he has a way of life for us and he's, he's the one who has to save us from our sinful, broken ways of life. I had this idea that might help you and I was sharing it with my kids. I, I, I tried some of this on my kids. I'm like, okay, guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this on you. And it kind of made sense. I'll try. Any of you ever heard of a game called Zelda? If you have not, we're going to close our eyes and you can leave our church right now. No, okay. Zelda is one of the most amazing video games ever created. And just last month, a version of the game called Tears of the Kingdom came out. And if you, you're a gamer or you have kids that are gamers and maybe you have young kids that are watching, if you're watching online, you're like, I just want to go play. I understand. It's a revolutionary video game, Okay has this incredible feature in the game that I think about when I read the Bible. One of the amazing things about this game is when you start the game, you're given a map. And the map is on the side there, just you can see it on the screen. And when, when Link begins the game, he's in a place called Hyrule. Okay? And in the game, when you start the game, you know that there's so many parts of the map that you're not able to see yet. There's only one way that you get to see them. By walking. You must walk and experience new things for the map to open up to you. Now, everybody who plays the game knows that the map is bigger than just the little part that they're in. They kind of get, maybe you can see it from the stage, you see kind of the outline that there's more of the map, but there's no way of just like getting the whole map. You only see the map as you move into the game. The Bible is so much that way. That although you know you have all these books and these stories and these things, you don't really get the whole picture unless you begin somewhere and you begin to follow the voice of Jesus calling you to walk, calling you to trust, calling you to take another step. And then you realize something new opens up, a new idea, a new concept, something that you never thought before. You're like, this was here all along? Yeah, because the words are eternal words. And they're always bubbling with life. So you can go back again and again. And you might understand something more, but then you realize there's more map to figure out. Oh, yeah, there is. It's, it's wild. It's kind of like that. People in the Bible struggled with this. They're going to struggle with this the most when Jesus starts using the Bible. When Jesus starts using the Bible, he's going to point in such a powerful way to this issue. He's going to say, by the way, Many of you have been reading the Bible for a long time. And this is a great warning for some of us maybe who've been a Christian for a long time. Jesus said, you've been reading the Bible for a long time, but many of you have gotten used to just thinking that the Bible's for you to know things and not for you to see that God is doing new things. 
So imagine when Jesus shows up and he starts to use the Bible and he reads the Bible and he does this. This is one of the times Jesus reads the Bible. This is what he does. He went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. So Jesus is going to read from the scriptures of the people of God. And as he reads through Isaiah, he's going to read the passage of God setting the people free of God coming to heal the brokenhearted, of God coming to provide for the poor, all these beautiful things, and then Jesus is going to do it. He's going to say, today, that passage is being fulfilled in me. That's a Zelda moment. That's like a Zelda moment. Yeah, Hyrule, right? That's a moment where Jesus, like, he just stepped into a new part of the map, and they're like, wait a second. Did you just say that what we've been reading for hundreds of years is about you? Jesus is like, nailed it. That's exactly what I'm saying. You see how you have to learn very quickly, especially if you follow Jesus and are learning from Jesus? That reading the Bible is not just knowing more and having just an answer, but about entering into the eternal words of a living God who's saying this book has no match. This is not even a book. It's the sacred writings of my people who recorded for you how good I was to them and how good I'm going to be to you changes everything. Who wouldn't want to read this kind of book? To be like, how do we learn about this God? How do we hear about the good things that he has in store for us? And the people who hear Jesus say this, they lose it. They're like, are you saying that we don't really understand the Bible in the right way? She's like, not that, but yeah, we're going to get there. Just give me a sec. And they get so upset. And some of them in that community decide on that day that they're going to kill Jesus. They're going to kill Jesus because he's asking them to see the scriptures in a more beautiful, in a more eternal way. He's asking them to grow into these new ways of understanding who God is and what God is about to do now. One of the things we're going to do this morning is we're going to, we're going to take this meal together. And I'm going to invite the band to come on up. And I want to just tell you one last thing. Again, next week, we'll just go a little bit deeper. But anyone who reads the Bible and understands that the Bible is more than a book... Right? Can you say that with me? The Bible is what? It's more than a book. Even the word book. Try to never think of it that way ever again. Sacred, eternal writings of a speaking, communicating God. That as you start to learn and to read about it, is that the people who put together, who began to say, like, let's make sure that this is part of the, the written record of how good God has been to us, also realized that there was something that was more than a meal. That as you learn that the Bible is more than a book, you also begin to understand that Christians and the Jewish people had something that was more than just a regular meal. They had this sacred meal. This sacred meal that they decided if they were going to pass anything on and share anything with the next generation, it would be how important this meal is. We live in a world where we are so bombarded with so many things that we've lost the ability to remember that these things are so sacred that we need to make sure they get passed on to the next generation. We need to make sure that they hear and they remember and they sense how good God has been to us. And we have those records. Many of them are are in our language today. We can read about them. But one of the most beautiful things that's been passed on to us in the Bible is by someone who struggled to believe what Jesus taught about the Bible. His name is Paul. 
Now, if you have a Bible, you go home again. If you don't have it and you, you take a Bible like this and you open it right kind of in the middle like this, you'll have the Old Testament, the Jewish writings, and then maybe not exactly in the middle, but almost, right? You'll have the New Testament, kind of the stories, the, the written stories of people who walked with Jesus and followed Jesus, okay? Pretty simple. Kind of two parts for you, right? That many of the writings in the New Testament were written by someone, were dictated by someone who at first struggled to believe in Jesus. He struggled to believe that Jesus was God. He struggled to believe that Jesus was real and that people should follow him. Many of the struggles that maybe you have or you know somebody that they have. And as he paid attention to the writings of the Jewish people and he watched Jesus, God spoke to him in a profound way. And one day, he's going to say to us something so profound about communion. You go to the, the slide, this is what he says. For what I received, I passed on to you as first importance, as a priority. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he's going to say, if you remember anything about what it means to follow Jesus, is that when Jesus was alive, he told his followers something that was connected to the great story of Israel. Can you imagine Jesus doing this? Jesus is like, you know the story of the Exodus. You know the story of the Passover. You know the story of how good God has been. And now I want to tell you that something is about to happen that's a marker of God setting you free in a new way. So what are they going to do? They're going to record this. They're going to record it as a, a pivotal moment. And in that recording, we know exactly what happened when they celebrated this meal. That as they sat down, they said, let's not forget to tell them that Jesus washed our feet. Somebody write that down. Let's not forget to tell them that Jesus prepared this meal for us. Somebody write that down. Let's not forget to tell them that Jesus did this during the Passover. Somebody write that down. Let's not forget to tell them that Jesus took the bread that was on the table and the cup that we were drinking from and he gave them new meaning for us. Somebody write that down. They start to like, and they start to hold this together and then Jesus says, also remember that you will keep doing this meal in remembrance of me. You're gonna do this. Now, I have so many other questions about that night. I have so many questions about you know, when Judas betrayed Jesus, did one of the disciples want to kill him? We're not told that. They didn't write that down. There's so many things we wish the Bible wrote down. What was Jesus doing when he was 12? When he was like, we know he starts going to the temple. What about when Jesus was, got his first tooth? Was it painful? Where is that in the Bible? It's not in there. Nobody wrote it down. You really start to realize that the Bible is not a book that tells us everything we want to know. It tells us what we need to know. And it tells us enough about what we need to know to be able to say yes to the God it points to. So in a few minutes, we're going to invite you to celebrate something that's so much more than just a meal. Because we've learned it from scriptures that are so much more than a book. Let's sing the song before we take communion.
prepare now to come to the table. You can have a seat. And uh, as we sing that song, it's just a reminder that we don't come together just to learn about God, but that we learn to recognize that there is a mystery, that we can never fully comprehend who He is, His holiness, His goodness. And so as we just prepare to come to the table, as Pastor Dom said, we remember that this is a sacred meal, that it's not a meal that we can fully understand. There's a mystery to this meal that points us to who God is, that there's a sacred aspect of coming together that's not just, again, about understanding. It's not even just about remembering what Jesus has done, but that he calls us to come to just trust in what it means to be shaped by who he is and what he's done as well, that we come together to be reminded of his strength, of the ways that only he can sustain us, the things that only he can give us because of who he is and because of what he's done. And so... Um, in a moment, going to invite you to come forward. And uh, if you're new here and you haven't come up before, just some instructions. We're going to have our team just guide you to come in two lines to come and receive the bread from Pastor Dom and myself. Uh, and then we have wine or juice or gluten-free options as well. So you can come up uh, and uh, just invite you then to come and sit back down and just wait for further instructions as we take communion together. Uh, but if you are new here, if you're just, this is all just new to you and maybe a little bit weird, just, just learning even what the Bible is for the first time, uh, you're not ready to say yes to Jesus. We just want to say we're so just thankful that you're here, that you've took this step to be with us, this courageous step. And we just want to encourage you, uh, you don't have to come up, we just encourage you actually to stay seated and just know that uh, we're really thankful and welcome. You're thankful that you're here and you're welcome. Uh, but if you are ready to come up, and you do come up, and when you sit back down, just want to encourage you to reflect on, as Pastor Dom shared this morning, uh, just to take the time on to reflect on the ways maybe that you've forgotten that God is just a living, eternal God, where maybe you've made even reading the Bible about something else, where you've made this meal about something else and failed to see just the new ways that He's coming to you, the new things that He wants to do in your life because of that thing that's gotten in the way. So just take some time to reflect on that and, uh, and then we'll take the meal together. So just as we prepare, let me pray, invite you to pray with me. God, we thank you again that you are so holy and so good. Thank you for the gift of the scriptures and those that sacrificed that we could have it as we do today to continue to just worship you, be shaped by you. And as we come now together to just receive this meal, we ask that you would deepen our trust in you and what you're doing as you come to us as the living God. Help us to trust in just your strength and the things that you want to do and the ways you want to sustain us. So be with us now and lead us in this time as only you can, God. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Come as you feel it.
everybody who sat around that table on that first communion or last supper, we call it many different things, was very confused. They were confused about the things that Jesus was saying because a lot of the things he said were not clear to them yet from just reading the Old Testament. What they never anticipated is that Jesus was going to take this meal and then make his way to the cross to die as a symbol and as a sign that he needed to destroy sin and death forever. And that only then they could really experience life. So maybe for some of you, that's gotten lost over the years. That this meal is not just a history lesson. This meal is not just a remembrance. This meal is for you. For me. And part of what we do as we take this meal is we put ourselves back in that moment and ask God to heal us and to help us understand what it means that we must surrender our way of life, our sinful and broken, selfish ways of life to the ways of Jesus again. And that when we do that, the Bible becomes the place we go to to learn how we're called to live in the way of Jesus. I'll take communion in a second, but I want to tell you one last story. And it has to do with someone I met a few years ago in a church. And every time I met with this person, I saw them wanting to grow in the faith and they wanted to be in a home group and they, they wanted to just serve in different ways, but they never really kind of took that next step to grow. They just talked about it. And one day I met with them for coffee and I said, I'm so proud of you, I see you growing, but one of the things I want you to start doing is I want you to commit to reading your Bible more and doing that with other Christians, maybe in a home group, in our homes. And he said to me, Pastor, I can't do that. And I was shocked. I said, why? He said, because I can't read. I never learned how to read. I don't know how to read. And I don't want anyone in our church to know that. And I felt this weight of them saying this and the shame of feeling afraid. If people knew this about me, like they would maybe look at me differently. And it was a good reminder for me that each of us have things in our lives that maybe feel might keep us from taking that step to grow in the way of Jesus. And it appears in a simple way and then becomes shame or fear that the Bible, even when we can't read it, is reading us. And it's doing something in us. And that no matter what you're going through, that there's a freedom that conquers every shame and every brokenness that we feel. So as we take communion this morning, You'll see it on the screen as written in the sacred text that was passed on to us by his first followers. That on the night when Jesus was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread, gave thanks for God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and he handed it to them. And he said, this is my body which is given for you. As we eat this, we do this in remembrance of him. Let us take the bread together. And in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's take it together.
How amazing that Jesus would promise in this sacred meal that he's going to come back again one day. And that we are called as we wait and pray and hope to want to be formed by what the Bible teaches about who Jesus was. So I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to pray. And I want to just remind some of you, maybe who came to communion this morning, you felt led by God to come because you, you want to grow and you want to be shaped by the ways of Jesus, but you're not baptized yet. If you came to communion this morning and you're not baptized yet, would you prayerfully consider that next time we talk about baptism? As it's such an important thing that not only Jesus did, but he commanded us to do as we follow him. So let's just pray this morning before we go. Father, we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for their eternal promises to us that remind us that you are a God that still speaks. And you speak in so many ways, but in a special way. You spoke in sending Jesus and in helping us understand that his death and resurrection was for us. May this series get into us in a new way and may it draw us to deeper places of wanting to read, to understand, and to grow so that people would see the humility that was in Jesus in us, so that people would see the compassion that was in Jesus in us, so that people would see the courage that was in Jesus in us. Just help us even as we leave this place and we think of our schedules and the things that await us and how you might be calling us to refocus our attention, to make time, to read the scriptures more faithfully. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, if you'd like to pray with someone or talk to someone, we have people just here in our prayer space. It's a reminder to say thank you to our kids team, serving our kids. If you'd like to give, you can do that in the gift station there as well. But God bless everyone. See you next week.